Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself, and I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. Hello, and welcome back to the Business Addicts Podcast. Today, we're going to interview a therapist and uh, get her thoughts around therapy in trauma, mainly, um, but whatever else she brings up, and uh, give the podcast some information about how therapy can help us as addicts, as people who go through trauma. And as we've covered in past episodes, uh, this season is dedicated to the trauma behind the addiction. I obviously don't know all of history, but it's our theory that behind every addiction there is some type of trauma, even if it's just emotional. And so that's what we're diving into this season. So Sarah's going to help us with that, understanding that from a therapist's perspective, and then whatever else she wants to to give us as gold from her world and working in this this side of, um, of life. So with that, I'll introduce Sarah. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about you, and we'll go from there. Hi, um, my name is Sarah Hilmer Gallitz. I um, I have eight years of experience doing therapy. Um, I'm starting to shift now from therapy, doing coaching, um, and focusing just on that. But um, I came from a, an alcoholic family, actually two alcoholic families. So I um, experienced my own trauma in that family system, and then also basically um, struggled with depression because of it and then decided to, uh, you know, get back into school and become a counselor because I thought perhaps maybe I could, you know, assist somebody else through those kinds of uh, journeys in life that sometimes one goes through when you come from a very, you know, difficult or dysfunctional kind of a background. That makes sense. And so um, thankfully I have worked with over like 150 clients and, um, and helped people from all different walks, you know, people who are, you know, struggling with their own addiction, people who are coming from families of addiction, people, just all different walks of life. Yeah, cool. I love that because that's actually my favorite uh, therapist that I've read about, right? Like, so that's all I know about therapy is what I've read is um, okay. Dr. M. Scott Peck. And he, um, he wrote that in his view, therapy was the, I, I'm not going to put it as he did, as well as he did, but something along the lines of the road of working on yourself to the point where you can eventually tell, help the next person. And that's the way he looked at therapy. So I love that, that, um, you know, there definitely is some other people that I've heard that have gotten into it because they want to work on themselves in this area. And then they also want to get to that point of being able to help others. Sure. Well, there are a lot of wounded healers that do this kind of work. Yeah, exactly. So how do we think about trauma um, from a therapist's perspective? Like, And mostly I think we're talking about childhood. That's the stuff that comes off later in life when we realize what we need to deal with. What What is trauma from, I mean, like... Trauma, okay. Trauma, experiencing something where, um, let's say, your, your brain just processes it differently. It has a, a different kind of an impact. You start 
like you start replaying memories mm-hmm. that you, you otherwise would not be replaying back and forth. When you're experiencing a, a cue, either externally or internally, something you know just triggers you and then boom, those memories come back called flashbacks. You experience other symptoms such as like sleeplessness, anxiety, uh, restlessness. There's a good number of them. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to be mentioning yeah, all that's of fine. them, but yep. just- there's a number of them. Your brain just processes the stress okay. yeah. of trauma yep. differently than it would, you know, if you if you were less stressed. And so it comes out as symptoms. And people don't necessarily get help until they get have symptoms. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So that's really what you're listening for and what you're watching when you have someone come in for therapy is like what are your symptoms? Right. Yeah, the one that the one that I'm hearing often and I didn't fully acknowledge until I started well, probably past my addiction to understand was anxiety. I was so disconnected from myself that I didn't even notice it, you know, like that, that was a lot behind the addiction was anxiety. Well, basically a lot of times what happens is those stressors, you know, become internal stress Mm -hmm. and, you know, anxiety is just stress. Now there's two ways of managing it. You can either manage your stressors outside of you or you could manage your internal stress. Yep. So it, it's kind of like if, if you were on a, um, if your car were stuck on a railroad track, you've got a couple different options. You can get in the, you know, in the lotus position and start meditating, you know, and wait for the train to, or, and that's one way to manage stress. And some people do that, or you could get out of the car and run, yeah. you know, or, you know, and um, so there's, you can manage the stressor or you can manage the stress. And sometimes uh, we don't, people don't realize they can do both. Okay. Hmm. All right. What, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm, uh, I guess from a coaching standpoint, most of the time I'm thinking about the power that I have inside of me to manage my thoughts and all of that. So from a therapy standpoint, how, what is that? What is, what do you, what do you mean? Well, what I'm saying is there, there are actually quite a bit of strategies um, that I've used with people to um, recognize how to get a sense of what their environmental stressors are yeah, okay. in the present moment. Yeah, you know, because actually, the stressors in the past don't matter mm-hmm. if they're not affecting you somehow in the present. Yeah, got it. Okay, now I'm understanding. So you take you just your present moment stressors. You start managing them differently, approaching them differently, realizing what options you have, and you manage them. And a lot of times what happens is that kind of soothes the anxiety and soothes the trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the trauma really isn't relevant until like, like, let's say, you know, let's say a, a, a vet comes home from, from war and his trauma doesn't seem to bother him until all of a sudden, you know, there are fireworks going on outside. Yeah. Okay. And then he's under the kitchen table. Yeah. You know, but but really, a couple minutes ago, it didn't affect him mm-hmm. uh, because it wasn't relevant in the present moment. But as soon as you bring it up in the present moment, then all of a sudden the the past just comes flying back in, and your your memory just brings back all those, just floods you. Yeah. Okay. So that vet really, I mean, if he didn't know the fireworks were going off, the way he would manage the uh, is mostly internal. Like he would have to manage his own feelings, the things that come up in the present moment. Um, so there's sometimes that tactic is good. Other times you're you're saying that the stressor is external and we can manage that by not putting ourselves in that posi- in that situation. 
that it that's is right. Something. I mean, little, little do we, you know, he might not have thought of it, but just getting in his car and driving to a park where there's birds chirping. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. So if I if I live in California and I grew up in Boston. And my friends are the reason why I got addicted or something. I'm just making something up. I, I probably wouldn't spend a lot of time going to Boston. That might be more of a trigger for me. Something like that. Oh, very much so. All right. Very much so. I mean, it's it's recommended so often for people to get just a change of venue mm-hmm. uh, in order to not trigger yourselves over and over again because your brain just processes. If it sees the same thing, it's going to process it the same way. So, so we need to... It's basically a way of tricking your brain. Yeah. Okay. So, th- so having an open mind to the fact that that's what we could get training on is with a th- with working with a therapist or a coach uh, around our mindset and that everything's on the table. Like, um, there's a lot of options. Probably a lot of options that we don't really understand or know about. I think so. And the thing is that like therapy these days is a little bit more psychoeducational, mm-hmm. you know, like with dialectical behavioral therapy, Okay. you know, there's, there's new ways of managing stress, you know, how you are coping with stressors. All right. Um, that was a woman who had a uh, multiple personality disorder came up with that. Okay. All right. And then, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy is talking. That's just your basic talk therapy. Okay. There's other, I utilize the stress management piece in order to get people to realize they have more coping mechanisms than just to teach them. They have more coping mechanisms, utilizing breathing, utilizing meditation, utilizing just any kind of smorgasbord of tools you can offer someone. Once you give them those tools, they tend to utilize them because they want to feel more comfortable mm-hmm. and they want to change their mood to be more pleasant. If they know they're there and they're used to grabbing onto them, they'll they'll use them and start feeling better. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Like uh, when you keep saying coping or I'm just thinking about coping from a standpoint of my, my own life, like work was such a coping thing for me. Like I didn't realize okay. until the last maybe six months how much it was when I quit my job when I figured this out. Like I was going to start my own business, you know, and then I, I quit my job and it's like, oh my goodness, there's all this stuff. I've never, no wonder I never wanted to not have a job. You could go back to 12 probably at least like the paper out. And then there was every, there was always something after that. Like I always need to be busy with something. Uh huh. Well, work can become its own addiction, you know, too. But the thing is that uh, people have a very difficult time with boredom or mm-hmm. with sitting still. Yep. And, and, um, and allowing your brain the space yeah. to process. Yeah. It's not easy. Sitting still is quite difficult. Yeah, I definitely learned um, learned that I could handle it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you, you must have like created some kind of way to manage the the discomfort. Yeah, I've had a lot of help. So, uh, you know, you know my family a little bit, right? Like Kara and, and Jamie. Uh-huh. Um, and so they, they definitely helped me with starting coming up with a plan around all these other things you can do. And, and you can, even if you don't think you can, you can do this, you can, you know, work on yourself. And and I started working out, which helped, you know, I think a lot of like motion based stuff helped. And then not too long after that, I was ready to go a little deeper. I went and did hypnotherapy, which was like, 
the best. All right, so let's let's break down th- trauma a little bit more. Like you mentioned emotional trauma. How do you what are some of the different types of trauma that happen in childhood and what what how do you deal with them differently? Well, big question. <laughs> the, the emotional trauma can happen because of somebody trying to control you mm-hmm. basically, uh control your behaviors and basically control is abuse. Mm-hmm. Anytime anybody tries to control you, that's abuse. Uh, of power. Yep. Uh, even sexual abuse is not necessarily because due to somebody wanting to be sexually active, it's a power. It's mm-hmm. an act of power yep. and control over somebody. That's sexual abuse. Then there's the verbal abuse, which you know tends to like lay down tracks in your brain that it's like your brain gets in a rut mm-hmm. and it starts believing all of the verbal abuse. And it takes quite some time to detract from that or extricate yourself from that and lay down new tracks in your brain that say, no, I am good. I I am essentially a good human being and I, and I can be healthy and my life can be good, mm-hmm. but it takes, you have to lay down new tracks, which is basically affirmations. Mm-hmm. That's a wide thing. Cause I, I'm sure, I mean, for myself, I, I don't think of anyone in, in my family as a, or anyone that I ever loved or still do uh, as abuse, like verbally abusive, but there's things that definitely did hurt me that I had to process. So, you know, how do we identify that type of language? Is it negative? Uh, how Generally uh, negative, boy, negative thoughts occur regularly. They're called automatic rate uh, negative thoughts or ants. Okay. And they naturally occur regularly. Your brain cannot go without a thought. You cannot stop your brain from thinking. Mm-hmm not possible. A lot of people think that meditating, you're actually stopping your brain from thinking, but that's not it at all because you can't. It will naturally send you another neurological impulse to think. The trick is getting your brain to do that in a positive fashion. You can feel two things at one time, but you cannot think two things at one time. So you trick your brain by giving it something that you want to think. Yeah. Yep. You know, if you're going to if you're going to worry about losing money, why not spend 5 minutes thinking about, oh wow, I could actually get money this way, that way, the other way. It's it's where you want to use that those the energy from your brain, those brain waves, how you want to use them. Yeah. They're going to keep firing anyway, so you might as well make it positive. Yeah. That's right. Cool. From a standpoint of your subconscious, I often think about all the 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 inputs that I have there that are based around keeping me safe or kind of fear-based really. I mean, um, do we store things in our subconscious that are actually positive? I mean, I assume we are. And I just stumbled across that thought and thought I'd voice it to you. I I believe we very much can. Um, You know, I'm, I still regularly try to tap into my subconscious, you know, on a regular basis so that, so that I'm accessing it more regularly and more easily Mm -hmm. and bringing it up to the surface. Okay. But it takes it takes discipline. I tend to think that you are only as happy as you are disciplined to be. I'm gonna think about that for a while. That's a good one. It really takes discipline to be happy. Hmm. It's not a oh, if it happens to me, I'll I'll be happy when it happens. No, no, you have to foster it to happen. Yeah. Well, sure. From a from a trauma standpoint, um, it certainly does take some desire and discipline to to get past those thoughts that are mm-hmm. creating a cycle 
and get right. to the thoughts or or introduce the thoughts about how you are loved in that moment and how you are able to navigate life successfully in all of those types of terms, at least having the discipline to get through that process. I mean, the way that I think about it is I'm getting in touch with myself. Mm-hmm. The more I get in touch with myself, the more amazing life is. At least that's been my experience. And getting past the the times where I introduce something negative or harmful or hurtful into my life, even into my brain from the information I had. It wasn't necessarily trauma, but like, say, rejection, different things. Processing that and saying, hey, you know what? From God's perspective, we really weren't rejected. That was just your your perception of what happened, getting the lies and all of that worked through. I mean, that takes, that took a, quite a bit of dedication to get through it, you know, because that's not like you sit down and have a five minute conversation. This we're talking about usually months for most people um, to, you know, dedicate yourself to it and, and be disciplined around, oh, this is the thought I'm having now. Hmm, that doesn't serve me too well. Maybe I'll deal with that. That's right. You know, before Mr. Rogers ever came around, people weren't talking about feelings, you know, mm-hmm. and thankfully I was raised by Mr. Rogers. And <laughs> and so uh, then all the adults started talking about feelings. And then we started thinking that our feelings were top dog, you know, but really it's not. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got our thoughts, which create feelings, which create actions. Mm-hmm. But above the thoughts, feelings and actions is our consciousness. Yeah. And our consciousness allows us to shift those thoughts, feelings, and actions so that we are not slaves to our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Like, let's say, you know, we like to think that we control our brains. That's not necessarily true. Our brains are more like wild horses than they are mules. Yeah. Hmm. I I would not want to do all the things my brain has come up with it. (laughs) In fact, I found myself on a 150-mile bike ride for two days. And I said to myself, brain, we are not going to do everything you come up with because it's not always a good idea. Yeah. I love that. I love having conversations with yourself and understanding that you are a we concept, right? Like we have a lot of different parts of us. And yeah, I love that. That's cool. Yeah. I had a thought around a lot of times from a coaching perspective, I'm working with say executives or whatever and noticing Mm -hmm. the the, uh, motivation behind the behavior, right? Like the the motivation is coming from that consciousness. You know, I, I once had a seven-year-old who came in and he was kind of like plagued by his thoughts and he couldn't really understand them or grasp them and his feelings. And and I said to him, you know what? You, you've got a consciousness above that. And I said, well, what do you call that? And he said, I, I call that my soul. And I said, okay, mm. great. Wow, powerful. And then he comes back another week. Yeah. It's, it's only a couple of weeks. And he comes back and he's, and I said, so how are you doing? And he said, great. And I said, oh, really? Why? He said, because if ever I feel bad, I just shift my soul. Wow. And, and I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> but uh, that was pretty profound for a seven-year-old. Yeah. And he really didn't seem to have many problems after that. That's wonderful. That, words, words of wisdom from a little little kid. He's right. Understanding that we have the power inside of us to choose and to focus on what we want. Yep. Yeah, someone said our conscience is the combination of our soul and our intuition. I like that. That we can be in tune to that. We can be we could be in tune to all of the negative thoughts in our head or we could stop listening to them or or at least acknowledge them. Okay, that's a negative thought. And then be like, "Oh, you know, I want to really be connected to the part of me that is the essence of me." 
that believes in what I can do, how I can serve the world, has been gifted in all these ways. That's awesome. I wonder what he he did in life. Did you follow him after that? This was just recently. Oh, okay. Our, our negative, our automatic negative thoughts are a little bit like flies. I don't know if you've ever noticed, a fly generally will try to get out of your house, will try to fly to a window. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times with our automatic negative thoughts, we treat it like a fly. We grab the fly swatter. We chase this thing down. We try to, you know, this automatic negative thought, like the fly, is flying around, doing whatever, it's, and we're chasing it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do it. Just let it go. Just out. let it fly. You just let it go to the window. It will go. Mm-hmm. That's what our automatic negative thoughts will go because another thought will come along. We have to get into the discipline of letting it go. Mm-hmm. That's good. And meditation, you do that. You let a thought come yep. and you let it pass and you let it go. Yeah. You only observe it. Your only job is to observe it, not react to it. Hmm. And then breathing. And to tell you the truth, when you focus on your breathing, it grounds you so that nothing is more important than your breath. The moment you lose your breath, no longer important. (laughs) Not here. It's no longer important here. So basically, our breath is our grounding mechanism when we keep going and you focus on that. Those automatic negative thoughts are nowhere near as important as the fact that you are breathing in this present moment. Wow. There's a lot of good nuggets in here. All right. So... What when you, what other types of trauma from childhood? Like we talked a little bit about emotional. Um, I think you had mentioned to me earlier that emotional is one of the harder ones to deal with. To recognize. A lot of times the people that come into my office are like thumbs, okay? You take a thumb, you set it down on the table, you take a hammer, you hit the thumb. What do you have? You have a red thumb. Yeah. It looks like the thumb has the problem. I see the thumbs. The thumbs come into my office. The hammers are outside my office. They generally don't walk into my office and they have a problem. (laughs) Yes. Because they're taking it out on Mm -hmm. the thumb. Yeah. So the people that recognize they have an issue and a problem and actually want the help are the people who are better off. Mm -hmm. They're not inflicting anybody else with difficulties. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to help themselves. Mm-hmm. Or at least they've gotten to a place where, like a, from an addict standpoint, I mean, you definitely do, you're, you're hurting people too, if you're, unless you're a hermit, and then you're still hurting you. <laughs> well, the, but the thing is that, you know, ultimately coming to the realization that it's always a cry for help. Yes. No, I agree with you there. And that's a very healthy place to be. It's yes. always an escape from yes. the uncomfortable and usually... When those traumatic thoughts come up, oh, so many people use just because they get that momentary, oh, I'm bored for a second, and I need to fill that void because if I don't, uh uh-oh, all those traumatic memories will come back. Mm -hmm. Yep. Got it. And so let's fill the void. Let's fill it with food. Let's fill it with this. Let's fill it with that. Yeah. The tricky part is allowing yourself to experience that void and like loving yourself through the moment to get through it. Because once you get through that one moment, you can love yourself through the next moment. Allow others to love you through the moment after that. Love that. You know, I'm reading a book on self-compassion written by a, a psychologist. And um, to tell you the truth, it's it's actually mind, you know, opening for me. You know, I've got bad habits. Mm-hmm. 
you know, where I allow those negative thoughts, you know, to roll around in my mind more often than I should, you know, allow them that kind of rental space in my brain. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, uh, quite uh, vulnerable to that. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. Allowing those negative thoughts to take up that space. Every human to a certain extent. But that self-compassion piece or even seeking that compassion, you know, through God, yeah. through another, you know, spiritual source, seeking that compassion to get you through those negative thoughts that are trying to act like dragons when they're really just paper tigers. Yeah. What I'm getting from you is that therapy is like a guided help to help you learn about your mind and how to believe and manage your mind, not that your mind manages you. Exactly. If your mind is managing you, then I would bet you've got some difficulties going on. Okay. Well, that is a huge deal for addicts and for anyone that's been through trauma is, you know, we need to become aware, right? Like that's our first step is really what is going on. And there's this numbness that an addict has and that a lot of people have, I think, that they don't want to become aware. And we're afraid of becoming aware. I remember when Jamie went through hypnotherapy, I was super like, what in the world are you doing? Why do you want to do that? And I was like, there's no way I want to know everything about me. But then a few months later, I was like, I really want to know. I don't want to try to figure this out over years and have the experiences of not knowing. You know, I want to figure it out. And and then so I did it. And I and it's like, you know, actually, all of these things, when we, like you said, they're just paper tigers. And if we put them in the room and we observe them and we actually acknowledge what they really are, there's nothing there. It's It's really not the information that we need to focus on. But along the way of figuring out what the paper tigers are, we got to figure out who we are. And that is valuable. And then suddenly everything switches and no longer we don't have to be numb anymore. We're like, oh, cool. I like me. I love me. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, You know, the thing is that when we are not aware of what our subconscious is trying to bring up for us, we tend to be driven by that subconscious. Yeah. You, you, you're driven to eat, you're driven to drive fast, you're driven to yell at somebody, you're driven to this, that, the other, and, and the subconscious is, is, you know, running the show. Yeah. Well, bringing your awareness to your subconscious allows your subconscious to talk to you, yeah. but it doesn't have to run the show anymore. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's right. That you, after, on the other side of coping, being numb and all these other things is, all right, now I know myself. And all the different voices are still there, but I am aware of them and I'm integrating them. They're, they're working together for me. Um, and I have my rallying cry, which is I'm going to be Kevin. And that's important too. I love this. That actually helped me. I've been thinking about that for like, I, I can't remember exactly, like writing a speech or something. And that yeah. kind of put a link there that I didn't have. You know, I've always struggled with not feeling good enough, mm-hmm. you know, probably because I took a lot of verbal abuse mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Yep. And, you know, underneath it all, it was my stepfather and he was struggling with alcoholism. Yep. And he most probably these thoughts were generating in his mind yeah. as to himself attacking himself. Mm-hmm. And then it came out attacking me. Well, he he managed it. He he. he went into treatment and he turned it around and he was able to apologize for his behavior. But the thing is, uh, when, you know, the subconscious is driving the show, we do tend to allow other things to happen. I always struggled with this, you know, I'm not good enough. Well, through meditation, all of a sudden I started meditating on the possibility, just the possibility Mm -hmm. in the universe somewhere, somehow, maybe 
I could be good enough. Just maybe. Yeah. Maybe somebody in the universe could think I was. And then after that, I never really seemed to be bothered by it anymore. Hmm. The power of believing. Yeah. That's very good. Well, this has been great. I think it gives us a lot of context around therapy. And uh, I I feel like personally I have a better understanding. And so we appreciate your, your time, Sarah. How, how can people get a hold of you? I know you're in the Madison area in, in Wisconsin. Can you tell us a little bit about why you're switching to coaching? What do you like about coaching and uh, and how they would find you? Sure. I'm I'm actually in West Dallas. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Milwaukee area. Oh, That's okay. Milwaukee area, fault. West Dallas. So basically, yes, I've switched from the um, counseling to the coaching. I'm I'm acting as administrative director over several therapists in my clinic. Okay. I'm starting to coach using those stress management techniques for younger people, for older people to like teach them that they have a whole bunch of like coping mechanisms that they might not have realized they can tap into to manage those stressors, which in turn elevates their mood. Yeah. Okay. And alleviates symptoms. Okay. Do you have a website or? I oh, do. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, let's see, it's riverchangeservices.com. Okay. Uh, it's River of Change Counseling and Life Coaching Services as the name. But uh... All right. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. We, we appreciate your time. Oh, sure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.